This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Hi, this is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, your host for The Voice of Leadership, and Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. And today, I want us to revisit some lessons that we can still learn from the Titanic disaster. And in light of the recent submersible Titan, there's even more that we can learn. So we want to talk about what are those lessons? How do they apply to business today? And before we get into all of the details, I really want to go back to the Titanic disaster and talk about what happened in the Titanic in some degree of detail. So on the 10th of April, that was in 1912, that's when the Titanic took its maiden voyage. It was the largest craft ever move in the ocean at that point. And they considered the Titanic unsinkable because it had 16 sealable compartments that they thought would be able to withstand any amount of water. On the maiden voyage, there were about 2,000 passengers on board, a total of 2,240 people, including the crew. And the vessel was actually designed for 3,320 passengers. However, that's how many were on the Titanic at the time. The Titanic had been completed on the 31st of March in 1912 in Belfast. And at that time, it cost $1.5 million, which is close to about $50 million in today's time. It took about two years to build. It was 883 feet long which is about four city blocks, and it was about 92 feet high, and it weighed 46,500 tons. And the maiden voyage started in Southampton, England, and was designed to go to New York City. The first place that they stopped was Cherbourg, France, and then to Queenstown, Ireland, and then it never quite made it to New York City. The Ship was made by White Star Line, and they were a competitor to the Cunard Shipbuilding Agency. Now, Cunard was really interested in speed and in vessels going at a fast clip. And the White Star Company, they were interested in the comfort of their vessel. So the Titanic was just beautiful. Nothing like that had ever been created up to that time. White Star Company had the Titanic, the Britannic, and also the Olympic as three of its major vessels. If you were to think about this ship at the time, it had gyms, it had pools, it had libraries, huge restaurants, and about 3,000 men were required to build the Titanic, and eight workers actually even died in the course of building it. So as it starts out on its maiden voyage on the 10th of uh, April, around about the 14th of April, there's a nearby ship, the Californian, the SS Californian, and they sent a message to the Titanic saying, we are stopped and we are surrounded 
by ice. And I want you to know that the Titanic captain was Edward Smith, first officer was William Murdoch, and a good number of the company's leaders were on board the ship. So when they got this message from the SS Californian saying that there was a lot of ice all around, they decided that they wouldn't pay attention to this message. And one of the reasons they didn't pay attention is because they really believed that the Titanic was unsinkable. They thought that they had built in every safety feature such that they could just go full steam ahead and not just go and continue on the path to New York. They didn't even slow down. In fact, they sped up in spite of the warnings and they received at least six ice warnings. However, they also wanted to arrive a day earlier than what they had projected in this journey. So think about that. You want to arrive earlier. And so now you're going faster under difficult conditions. And so what we find that into the night of the 14th of April and into the morning of the 15th of April, because of the icy conditions and because of the icebergs that they ran into right around the Newfoundland area, the Titanic actually sunk. And at the time that one of the two lookouts was able to detect a problem, his name was Frederick Fleet. He saw that there was an iceberg right ahead. But by the time he saw that, and by the time that he was able to talk about it, it was too late to really make the maneuvers that needed to be made. And that particular night, it was very difficult to see the danger because the water was so calm. So you really couldn't see the waves hitting up against anything in the water like an iceberg. It was very hard to spot the danger. And so by the time they saw the danger, they took a sudden left turn to avoid it However, it was really too late, and that sudden left turn caused the iceberg to sideswipe the Titanic, and it punched holes in the right starboard side of the ship that was along 300 feet of the boat, and then it began filling with water. And so about two hours and 40 minutes later, the ship was below water, and it sunk. And what was interesting along the way is of the 16 watertight compartments, six of them became flooded and just filled to begin with. And they had these towers that really weren't tall enough to really clear the water under emergency conditions. And so right at the top, all of this water was flooding in to the compartments which were not filled with water yet. So now you've got these four compartments that were compromised. And with four, you could limp to shore, but now they had six and that was just too much. They weren't going to be able to have the buoyancy to stay afloat. And in fact, Thomas Andrews, who was the ship designer, told Captain Smith that the pumps that were put on the ship, they weren't even capable of pumping that much water from the Titanic. Now, mind you, they did not think the Titanic was sinkable. So this was unheard of that they would have to be facing all of these scenarios that they were facing. The other challenge is that the hull of the ship, there were rivets that were made for the hull of the ship. Those rivets had three times more of a product that's called slag than 
what was typically used. And slag is more of a glassy substance. And when you get into very cold water, slag becomes more brittle. So these rivets probably broke off of the hull during the impact with the iceberg. And this is how the front again started filling with water. Eventually the back of the ship lifted up. The pressure was on the middle of the ship and the boat just cracked right there and sunk. So at this point, we know that the Titanic is sitting 12,467 feet below the surface of the sea. That's 2.4 miles. And it's at a pressure of 380 atmosphere. That's where it's sitting right now. Now, during the night of this disaster, also, there were only 16 lifeboats and four collapsibles. That was not enough to accommodate every person that was on the Titanic. Now, for the standards of the day, they actually exceeded the standards of the day in terms of the number of lifeboats that they carried. However, this meant that everybody was not going to be saved under these conditions, and the water was so cold and so frozen that many people, when they jumped into the water, they died immediately because of the hypothermia conditions. And others may have lasted a short period of time and then drowned or were just, just succumbed to the really harsh and difficult conditions. Also, it's in the middle of the night, so it's pitch black as well. So we find then that as they were in this disaster, the night of this sinking, and they're trying to get people to the lifeboats and they don't have enough, they had to prioritize getting women and children into the lifeboats. Even still, at the beginning of all of this, many people didn't take it seriously, this sinking. One of the wealthiest men in the world was on the ship, John Jacob Astor. He was a billionaire at the time. He was the wealthiest man in the world. And he himself did not survive. And he didn't even take the uh, announcements of the sinking ship very seriously because, again, everybody thought the ship was unsinkable. Ultimately, though, his wife, who was pregnant, she did get to a lifeboat and she was saved. Another couple, Ida and Isidore Strauss, they were co-owners of Macy's department stores at the time. And Ida was in a lifeboat and she got out of the lifeboat to join her husband. And basically she said, wherever you are, that's where I'm going to be. And the two of them died together. Very sad to think that people had to make these kinds of decisions and to go through this kind of difficulty. And even as they were cruising along, the chairman and managing director of White Star, who was an Englishman named Bruce Ismay, he was saying, and he was the one that encouraged the ship's captain to go faster before this incident. He says, we will beat the Olympic and get to New York on Tuesday. Again, getting to New York early rather than prioritizing. Let's take a look at the conditions. Let's pay attention to the reports we're receiving. Maybe we should go slower. Maybe we should stop. Maybe we should get help. Anything. However, that's not what they were focused on. That's not what they were thinking about. And in fact, Early on in the journey, a vice president of the White Star Line, Philip Franklin, he said, there is no danger that the Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable and nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers. 
Wow, imagine that. This is what was being said at the beginning of all of these conditions and nightmares. And even after hearing that the Titanic was in trouble, that same VP of the White Star, uh, Mr. Franklin said, we place absolute confidence in the Titanic. We believe the boat is unsinkable. It's interesting how that on a maiden voyage of a ship that's unsinkable, it doesn't get very far before it actually does sink. The night of the disaster, there was a ship, the Carpathian, and the captain was Arthur Henry Rostrum. And he heard the distress signals of the ship and he came to their aid. He arrived at about four in the morning and he was able to save about 705 survivors who were then taken on to New York on his ship. In the meantime, 1,500 other people actually died that night. So let's move forward a little bit in time. On the 1st of September, 1985, that's when the sunken Titanic was discovered in the ocean. The Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, led by Robert Ballard, and the French National Institute for Ocean Science, was led by Jean-Louis Michel. They were on a mission to actually uncover and recover some Navy ships that had been lost, some underwater submarines and vehicles, and they actually found the sunken naval subs, and they found them so quickly that they had extra time to look underwater for the Titanic, and so they did. They had the use of some underwater vehicles that had sonar, and that was the Argo and the SAR, S-A-R. And then we find that in May 2023, which isn't that far away, was the first digital scan of the shipwreck. And then in June of 2023, this is when we find that Ocean Gate sent their Titan submersible to also view the site. Unfortunately, with this scenario and incident with Ocean Gate's Titan submersible, they lost contact with the surface crew and they also lost navigation. And those people who are familiar with this type of journey under the sea knew that this meant that something catastrophic and cataclysmic had taken place. And we later learned that there was an implosion and all five passengers aboard the Titan submersible were killed. And that includes Hamish Harding, the British billionaire and adventurer, Shazada Daywood and his son Suleiman. He was a Pakistan-British businessman, Shazada was. And then Stockton Rush, who was the CEO and founder of Ocean Gate and this expedition, as well as Paul-Henri Najolet, who was the French submersible pilot. All of them were killed in this expedition. Now, the Titan, the submersible, was built to dive to depths of 13,123 feet, which is below where the Titanic was located. The design was not classified, meaning that it hadn't gone through various approvals and gotten certifications, nor was that necessary to do. So keep in mind, if your design isn't classified, there could be some flaws and fallacies in it that you might not know about. The submersible was made out of titanium and a kind of a carbon fiber. 
Also, in order to open and close it, it had to be opened and closed by the surface crew at the top. So they could not have opened it to get out on their own, nor would that have been advisable because of the pressure that they were under, and that probably would have killed them instantly anyway. This device had four electric thrusters, and it was piloted with a Logitech gaming controller. This was highly unusual to use something that's just in the everyday market rather than some high-tech kind of instrumentation or technology. They also used the Elon Musk Starlink satellite technology. There were multiple methods on board the craft for descending and also returning to the, to the surface. There were three different systems, a propeller system, flotation tanks for the second, and then third, some weights. They never got a chance probably to use all of those because it's likely the implosion occurred suddenly and before they could activate any of those other emergency systems. They also had a view window on the submersible that was larger than what had been seen in other submersibles. And that would give a panoramic view of everything that was down at the Titanic. This window was certified as safe only to depths of 4,000 feet. And of course, they were going down to 12,000 plus feet. They also had pressure sensors to monitor the structural integrity of the vehicle while they were going down. However, after only an hour and 45 minutes, they lost contact into this journey. And the total journey usually takes two and a half to three hours. So they didn't make it all the way down to the bottom before they ran into a crisis. And it's unclear whether the monitors for structural integrity would give them information soon enough so that they could make any change. Most likely something again happened suddenly, even if the monitors showed them anything, they imploded probably before they had a chance to do anything else. There were no sonar kind of equipment on this particular um, vessel, nor did they have GPS or other kinds of more modern navigational tools available. I will also just mention that the Titan did have other journeys down to the Titanic wreck site. This vessel went three times to the Titanic wreck. They went once a year since 2021. And prior to those three trips, they did 50 test drives that were completed. Nevertheless, people who were aware of the Titan were concerned for quite some time about safety issues. I'll mention one person, James Cameron, who was the Hollywood film director for the 1997 movie Titanic. He was very concerned about what was going on at Ocean Gate, and he himself had taken 33 submersible trips down to the Titanic, not on Ocean Gate's equipment, but in other equipment. And based on what he heard about the Titan and how it was built and the various kinds of equipment they had on board, he said that he would not ever get on the Titan because he did not trust that it was safe. Also, there were reports that there were some internal employees at Ocean Gate who had quit because they were concerned about safety issues. There was also a letter from a community of people who did deep 
Submersive Travel, who warned OceanGate, saying that this is a poor choice, what you're doing. You're going on a path that could be catastrophic. And in addition, there was a letter that came from the Marine Technology Society to OceanGate, and they issued a warning, and they said, the current experimental approach that's being adopted by OceanGate could result in negative outcomes from minor to catastrophic. There was a lot of concern also from others that perhaps OceanGate might have been cutting corners or concerns about just the building materials in general of titanium and carbon. Had that really been tested for this type of travel and for these depths and for these distances? People wondered about that. There are also some documents with the U.S. government where a former employee warned about safety problems at Ocean Gate, and that was in 2018. Also, David Lockridge, who was the director of marine operations at Ocean Gate, he raised some concerns in an inspection report. We find that the design of the craft fell outside of what was acceptable for submersibles at the time. Now, they did say that the classification system and going through that would be very time-consuming. It would slow down innovation and so on. And yes, that's probably true in many respects. However, for some missions that are very dangerous, there may be a good reason to slow some things down. I also would mention U.S. uh, journalists, Dr. Michael Guillaume, who was a science editor at the ABC Network, and he was a physicist, he took year 2000 trip down to the Titanic wreck site, and he went in a different kind of submersible. The craft that he took was a Russian vehicle, and the Russians had designed MIR-1 and MIR-2, and MIR stands for peace. And these vehicles were very strong, they're very robust, and they were designed for research the kind of research that a scientist might do underwater. And so when Dr. Guillaume took this trip, there was a Russian pilot on board who had been a MiG fighter pilot for their jets. His name was Victor and one other passenger, also a researcher, a scientist. And they went down there. They viewed the Titanic wreck site. They saw a part of it all went well. Then they traveled to the other half that was broken a slight distance away. And as they were moving to do that, they got caught in the huge, gigantic propeller of the Titanic. And they were wedged, if you will, between the propeller and what looked like maybe the poop deck of the Titanic. Now, Dr. Guillaume says this was a frightening experience harrowing beyond anything that you can imagine or that he could imagine. And he had been reluctant to take this trip because he's afraid of water and doesn't know how to swim. However, as part of his job as a news correspondent, he thought it would be important to go and maybe to be the first news correspondent to see the Titanic wreck site. When they got caught under that propeller and kind of collided a little bit into the ship, all of this rusted Titanic debris started falling on top of them. He thought, this is it. I'm not going to get out of here alive. That pilot, however, was so experienced that he was able to dislodge them from the place where they had gotten stuck. And it was not necessarily easy. It took 
probably about an hour. And after they got dislodged, they were able to safely rise back up from the floor of the ocean and get back to the surface. So having been through that experience, I think Dr. Guillaume was very clear that this titan that went down, he could only imagine the devastation that the passengers were experiencing if there had certainly been an implosion. It was his impression that they probably would have died suddenly and probably painlessly, not even knowing what happened to them because it would have been so quick what happened rather than just getting stuck because they had not even gotten down to the Titanic yet before something really uh, difficult happened in their case. So in all of these things, there's so many lessons that can be learned. And I want to go back to the Titanic for a minute to talk a little bit about what was learned from the Titanic in terms of shipbuilding at the time and some things that were put into place. So there were these bulkheads on the Titanic. They were only 10 feet above the waterline. And after this wreck and crash, they built those bulkheads a lot taller than they had in the past. They also fireproofed vessels in the future and made them watertight on all sides. We also find that modern steel is more impact resistant. And so it's also 10 times less brittle, the kind of steel that began to be used, which had more manganese in it, less sulfur, less oxygen, less phosphorus. In today's time, we're finding that there are some nanomaterials that are lighter in weight that require less fuel, so therefore they're less flammable in case there is a disaster, and those are things even to be considered in the future. At the time of the Titanic, about a year later, they set up the International Ice Patrol so there could be some warning about icebergs, particularly in this region where there were so many icebergs. Also, in more modern times, GPS started to be used on ships because it's less weather dependent. It's more reliable. And there's something called electronic chart display and information systems, which many ships are using so that therefore they can identify any hazards in the water. Nevertheless, there are still some vessels out on the water who are ill-equipped. They don't have the necessary radar. They don't have the GPS. And so there's nothing that prevents these ships from sailing in iceberg-infested waters, even if they don't have the right equipment. Ships, though, they must carry now lifeboats enough for all passengers, and many actually carry additional amounts in case something happens to some of the lifeboats. They also learned from the Titanic how important it is that the lifeboats be enclosed or partially enclosed because it was so cold out there and the water was so frozen that people were in danger of dying of hypothermia even if they got to a lifeboat. And there were many who died even in the lifeboats because of this. There's still a lot more lifeboat innovations that are necessary and that are required in order to have greater safety on the seas. One of the things that's implemented now, and I remember experiencing this on a cruise that I took on a cruise ship, is that the passengers get a briefing so that you know what the evacuation procedures are, what the emergency procedures are, 
you know where the lifeboats can be found and so on. I think that's really helpful and useful to have that information. And in some vessels, there are also emergency immersion suits that would help in frigid waters. In today's time, there are some ships, though, that are choosing to register under what are called flags of convenience. And these are countries that have less stringent requirements, such as Panama and Liberia and Marseilles. And there are even more ships registered in Liberia right now, even than the UK. So people are still trying to find ways to get around some of the safety protocols, even though a lot has been learned and more are put in place. If we dial back to January of 2012, we will remember the incident of the Costa Concordia, which was a cruise ship that was captained by Francesco Chatino. He veered from his charted course and took a different route going past an Italian island, Del Giglio, and he did this at close proximity in shallow water, which was incredibly dangerous. So a retired U.S. Navy captain, John Cunard, said that this was a huge mistake that the captain of the Costa Concordia engaged in. And he said what was behind it is the same attitude sometimes that we've been talking about so far, which is hubris and ego and arrogance. To think that, you know, you could just abandon your course and go into this uncharted territory that's shallow. And that ship uh, landed on some rocks and they had a number of casualties as a result, even though a number of people were saved, 4,200 were rescued, 32 people did die in that disaster. And of course, like all these others, it was preventable if the people had been paying attention to the information that was available at the time. So you might be wondering, well, what difference does all of this make? You know, I'm not in the shipping industry. I'm not building ships and vessels and so on. Here's the relevance as business executives and leaders, especially those of you who may be in any kind of manufacturing, those of you who are even developing innovations in medicine and so on. There are some lessons that I'd like to go over that come from the Titanic, the Titan, the Concordia, and all of these other experiences that we've been talking about. Number one, and this really gets to values and approaches and how we think about things. Number one, I think it's important to prioritize and value human life prioritize and value human life over everything else. And when you're valuing human life, it's going to manifest in several ways. One, the quality of the materials that you use. You want to use the best materials available for the kind of mission that you're on and that you seek. Whatever time it takes to build the kind of vessel that you need for the expeditions that you have, take the time because people's lives are worth the time that it takes. Have multiple backup systems and systems that are robust. If you have great equipment, great materials, and you have backup systems, that's wonderful. 
having enough lifeboats and all the other safety protocols in place. We think about the Titan, they had backup systems. However, the quality of materials is questionable to begin with. And if you're doing something that's not ordinary, is beyond the ordinary, you might want to use materials that are technical and that are designed for that extraordinary use rather than being able to go to a camping store to get equipment or to get a game board directional piece of equipment. So I think prioritizing value human life, that will lead you in some good directions. Number two, I would say, learn from experience. That is learn from your own experiences and learn from the experiences of others. In the case of the Titan, those people who took trips in the Titan before, they did say that the vehicle lost communication with the surface crew in those other trips. There were other challenges in those other trips. And it looks like all of those things were not addressed before this 2023 voyage to the bottom of the sea was attempted. In the case of the Titanic, this ship that was nearby sent them a warning message. We're in ice. We're stopped. They did not benefit from the wisdom and knowledge of other people. Again, even the Russian vessel that went down in year 2000 and successfully went down and came back up, one lesson to learn from them was that being built in a more robust way was useful because you don't know what might happen down there. And they did get wedged in the propeller. They did get stuck, but because they had a robust vehicle, they had an experienced pilot and so many other aspects there, they were able to get out safely. So learn from the past experiences of yourself and others. Study and use this past wisdom and knowledge. Number three, I'd say take the time necessary for what you are doing. So often we want to rush to the market. We want to speed to the marketplace. And what we really need to do is to take more time to study what it is that we're building, what it is that we're manufacturing, to test it, make sure that it's really safe for humans. And again, number four, use the best materials for your type of project. And anything you're going to repurpose, maybe because you are thinking of something innovative, repurpose with intelligence. I think that not having GPS and radar on the Titan was probably a challenge. Using the game board was probably a challenge. And so again, you want to use the best materials for your type of purpose. Now, the Titan, to be fair, was building a tourist vehicle, one for tourism, as opposed to a research vehicle. However, where you're touring is an unusual place, very dangerous, has unique conditions, and requires more robust materials. Number five would be prioritize safety over speed. Safety over speed, for example, in the water, speed of the vessel like the Titanic speeding up when they had gotten the ice reports, prioritize safety over speed again, like I said, to the marketplace. Okay, so the drug that you are building, you want to get it out to the marketplace early and maybe skip some testing. Again, human lives are at stake. 
So prioritize safety over speed. Prioritize safety over comfort. The Titanic was the most luxurious ship ever made. It was beautiful. Had all kinds of comforts. That's what that line was all about. And yet you, if you want to combine safety and comfort, the Titan was also a comfortable vehicle. It was luxury in comparison to the submersible that Dr. Guillaume went in, the Russian one. And it's okay to have luxury and comfort, just paired with safety also, and prioritize the safety over the comfort. We also need to remember that it's important to plan for and to expect the unexpected. Plan for and expect the unexpected. It certainly occurs almost every day, all the time. And that means to listen to and heed warnings. Even if you think everything is safe and yet a warning comes that you're not expecting, pay attention to that warning Remember that because of the calm seas, the dangers were hidden and they weren't visible until it was too late. That submersible that went down in 2000 didn't think it was going to get stuck in a propeller. And yet they had an experienced pilot on board who probably in the Russian fighter jet MiGs had done a lot of maneuvering. So again, that's planning for and expect the unexpected. Number seven would be create multiple high-quality backup systems. That's multiple high-quality backup systems. And basically, we have to remember that we live in a fallen world. Everything is subject to decay, failure, and to decline. Therefore, we really can't say that anything is unsinkable or that anything is infallible here on this earth, and especially if those items are man-made. Just because we believe strongly in something, that doesn't mean that that belief is true or rooted in reality. The chairman of the company believes strongly in the Titanic. The VP spoke highly of it being unsinkable. Their beliefs were unfounded because they weren't rooted in what was true. Just because you believe it doesn't mean that it's going to happen that way. And the president of OceanGate was in his own vehicle on this trip. He obviously believed in the safety of the Titan. And yet, it wasn't safe enough. And he lost his life as well as the four others who were with him. I also think it's important to remember that if you're doing something different that's innovative and it's not the industry standard, that you allow other voices to be heard. You don't silence those voices or fire the people who seem to be the naysayers or fail to listen to the letters that have been written to you. Instead, you use that information to see, can I make this better? Can I make this safer? And when you choose to proceed against the wisdom of the time and the advice of the time, it's so important to have even more levels and layers of what I'll call informed consent. Now, everybody who got on the Titan knew that they could die, and that was there. But informed consent goes even beyond that. It's to say, okay, our procedures aren't registered, 
And we're using materials that we don't know uh, whether they are safe in these conditions. Even the portal, the window that we can look out of has been certified for a depth of 4,000 feet instead of 12,000 feet. All kinds of other information to share and to say, given this, understand you're taking your life into your hands. And then each person can decide for themselves after the briefing, do I want to take this trip or not? I think this applies to the pandemic and what we went through with the vaccines. Many voices that had studied this kind of mRNA technology were speaking out about their concerns and they were silenced. And many people today are experiencing severe health challenges and reactions because the vaccine was not a good option for them. We have to remember that in medical scenarios, one size doesn't fit all. Some people will do well with one approach and others will need a different approach. And sometimes we have to take more time for testing because in this case, maybe the vaccine caused more harm than the virus would have caused. So we have to think about all of this. These things are relevant. These lessons are relevant today. So again, I'm going to say them quickly, prioritize and value human life above all these other considerations of speed and comfort. Study and use past wisdom and knowledge. Learn from your own experiences and those of others. Take the time necessary to build properly for what you are doing and for your use and purposes. Four, use the best materials for your type of project. And if you're repurposing anything, repurpose the right things and do it intelligently. Five, consider and prioritize safety over speed and comfort. Six would be listen to and heed warnings as you plan for and expect the unexpected. And seven, create multiple high-quality backup systems no matter what's going on. And I want to just acknowledge that a lot of the detailed information that I've obtained for this podcast for what I've shared with you on the technical aspects of the Titanic, the Concordia, as well as the Titan, come from various um, sources on the internet. An article by Douglas Main with contributions from Scott Dutfield, the Live Science Titanic Project, History on the Net, the BBC.com, a news video with James Cameron, NBC News Report with Gotti Schwartz, where he interviewed Dr. Michael Guillaume, and so forth. So there's a lot of information out there if you want to study more on the Titanic. And as we close today, I just want to remind us about what is the meaning of true wisdom. So 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses 18 through 23, and it says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. 
all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. So we need to have the humility to acknowledge that as humans, we are limited. We do not have all knowledge and wisdom. All knowledge and wisdom resides in God. Let us seek his counsel and remember that pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. So let's walk in the wisdom of God as we lead our companies and as we manufacture products that are for the human good. And let's do it with the wisdom of God. Hello, this is Dr. Karen, and I want to tell you about my book, Lead Yourself First, The Senior Leader's Guide to Engaging Your People for Greater Performance and Impact. This book is about playing the music that only you can play. Leadership is about more than following clever techniques. You are the instrument of your leadership. People are inspired by you and how you show up. In chapter three of the book, which is called Forge Your Own Pathway, I share many experiences of creating a pathway forward when a pathway didn't exist beforehand. Sometimes that path is created through service, such as a time that I was taking a train every week from Wiesbaden to Frankfurt, Germany, to volunteer in the Army Hospital, the 97th General, and I was volunteering once a week as a psychologist. Little did I know that this volunteer job would later become a full-time employment opportunity for me. Because of the volunteer service, I was in the right place at the right time when the doors opened up. The metaphor that I often use for creating opportunities is the ability to see possibilities where none are visible. And I call this creating blizzard food. So just imagine just like in Colorado, this could happen at any time, there might be a raging blizzard outside. You haven't gone to the grocery store yet. There's no obvious food in the refrigerator or the pantry. Yet, if you look hard enough, there is hidden food and you can use it to create delicious meals for you and also your guests. So I encourage you, get your own copy of Lead Yourself First. Forge your own pathway forward. Create your own opportunities. Be the instrument of your leadership and create some delicious blizzard food. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.